a group of women had just stood in the dark at a distance and saw their friend Jesus die. They, they were in the dark because the sky in the middle of the day had grown black. They, they were still there because that was their friend, the one who throughout their entire life was with them in their suffering. And so they remained with him in his because at the very center of their relationship with Jesus, these women understood that suffering was a place where the Lord wasn't just a God who shows up, but a God who is victorious and present and laments and identifies with them. And so that, that dark night turns into this bright morning because these same women now, as we come here on Easter Sunday, these same women are coming to the tomb where they were ready to prepare the body of Jesus for internment. They were ready to behold, to look at, to, to consider their friend now simply a corpse. We know this because of the details of the story tell us they had spices in their hands. Turn with me and look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. The same group of women who had witnessed their friend Jesus die in the dark are now walking to the tomb on this new day. And they will help be a, a lens for us of understanding what this day is all about. Because you see, day comes out of the night, or rather this light shows up very quickly from one day to the next. And we, we, can, we can rush ahead to just expect this light, but understanding the light and understanding all that's going on as these, these women and others within the story today will help us to understand. Sometimes that takes time and it takes time for a very divine reason. Luke chapter 24, verse one, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. That's the, these women taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and, and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And now Luke gives us kind of in the mind's eye of these women in verse 8. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So these women not only come to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday in the, in the morning as the light is dawning and, and it begins to sort of wipe away the darkness of their experience of seeing their Lord crucified just a couple of days ago. 
how he had met them in their suffering, they now in, in, in his, and, and now coming to the tomb with spices in their hands, can't you just feel and see those spices falling out, falling out of their hands? Because we all walk into this life, we all walk towards this tomb and just expect a body to be there because dead things stay dead. This, this is what everything in our experience tells us. This is what darkness teaches us, that hopelessness is swallowed up, that sorrow is heavy, that lament is impossible to wash away, that darkness often is what we believe will persist beyond the dawn. And so these women with spices in their hands, can you imagine their story? Mary Magdalene, seven demons had been exercised from her. These other women healed of various ailments. They, they rolled with Jesus for a number of years. They, they knew him and now they're told by angels that he is resurrected. And so these women become the first to proclaim this good news. These women become the first to proclaim the news, not just in general, but specifically to the 12 disciples. Can you, can you imagine it? And these women are disbelieved by the disciples, an ailment that still persists within the church today not listening to those who have truly experienced something, not listening to women in general. This is a direct contradiction of the way that we often live our lives within the 21st century modern church. And yet here we are given a picture, not of simply women who happen to hear something and on the fringes of the ministry, but in the very center of what God is up to are these particular women, this group of women who have witnessed the gospel, experienced the gospel, and now proclaiming this good news to the disciples. But that very day, verse 13 tells us something else is happening. As Peter goes and confirms for himself, there are others who have not heard yet. And if they have heard, it's really just been a rumor. So what begins to take place, imagine this with me going back 2,000 years, something incredible has happened. These women have experienced an encounter with an angel. They have brought back this encounter to the 12 disciples and told them Peter rushes to the tomb and other gospel accounts give us other players in that, that second visitation as well. They all begin to wrestle and deal with the reality of this. That, that, that the body is not there. Their, their mind would have gone in a number of different places. Did someone steal his body? Peter is perplexed. Did, did we get the location wrong? As, as we often do when, when something is unexpected in, in this kind of way, we start to try to piece it all together. But the, the sorrow is probably still there. The, the, the curiosity of trying to put all of the, the details together in this story is not yet a match for the sorrow and despair of the three days that they have spent without their Lord with him in the tomb. And so Peter is wrestling. These women are wrestling. And no doubt the entire region who believed and trusted in Jesus are still heavy with sorrow. In fact, what Luke does is he gives us a primary example, a story about two travelers who are on their way home believing that Jesus is still dead, believing that sorrow is settling in, believing that resurrection is not a possibility, believing that dead things stay dead. And so it is in this moment with these two travelers on their way home, believing that nothing hopeful is taking place today. This is where God meets them. Look at verse 13 with me, Luke chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But notice in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
This is a brilliant picture that Luke gives us more information than even the characters in the story. These two two individuals, disciples, perhaps a married couple, or just two individuals who both knew and loved Jesus, they're, they're on their way home. And Luke tells us that Jesus draws near and he walks with. He draws near and he walks with. Is this not our Lord? See, in the middle of their sorrow, in the middle of their questions, in the middle of their isolation, something that many of us in our church family, many in our city, in our world, know all too familiarly right now. This pain of isolation, of feeling as though you are on your own. I mean, for goodness sakes, I'm speaking to a camera so that we can interact today on Easter morning. We all are experiencing what these two travelers were, were experiencing on the first Resurrection Sunday on the first Easter morning, isolation, disconnection from community on their way home. This can be deeply challenging for us. I know for myself, different emotions just really are revealed when we are removed from community, different ways in which I'm reminded how desperate I am in need of them and how wonderful it is when someone goes on a run or walks by my home and I just get to see a brother or a sister See, I think we're getting a glimpse of what these two probably felt. Their isolation, though, wasn't just physical. Their isolation was spiritual. See, we got to get into their their minds a little bit. Everything that they had hoped in for the past three years now seemed to be lost. Everything that they trusted in, what what they believed to to be true, in many respects, they're now having to call all of that into question. I wonder if you've experienced that before. Calling into question all of the things that you believed and trusted was, was true about God, was true about his word, was true about his work in the world. And yet something happens or something doesn't happen. It calls us to question that, well, for these two travelers, Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was nailed to a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And they, they dealt with this silent Saturday where there was not a word, not a glimmer of hope. And so they're going home. And it's in the middle of the uttermost of their despair. Please hear me, church family. I love you so much. Please hear this. It is in the middle of their despair. It is in the middle of their isolation. It is in the middle of their loneliness. It is in the middle of their confusion. It's in the middle of their questions. It's in the middle of their journey home, away from this city of sorrow. That's where Jesus draws near and walks with. And how brilliant that our Lord doesn't just draw near, but he, he walks with them. He begins to journey with them. He identifies with their, with their sorrow as these women understood incredibly well that our God is a God who laments with us, who weeps with us, who cries with us. He's not just in our sorrow, that he's present with us and waiting for us to sort of build ourselves emotionally back up and get out of the rut. What he does is he weeps with us. He identifies with our sorrow. He experiences that isolation on the cross and therefore he is able to identify with the isolation that these two travelers are feeling. Remember, he felt his his father, his heavenly father, he felt distance from him. And so Jesus draws near and he walks with, he identifies with them. But curiously, which now begins to sort of hold this narrative, is that Jesus allows himself to not be disclosed to them. See, he he is unidentified as their Lord. And so this causes us to lean in a little bit, doesn't it? 
curious as to what this interaction will be because now all that they thought they had lost is now walking with them. All that they thought was gone is now right there drawing near and walking with. This is a fantastic story. Their eyes were kept from recognizing verse 16 and now 17. And he said to them, that's Jesus. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And then, and then read, read the rest of 17. And they stood still looking sad. They, there is this, this marked depression and forlornness that, that comes on their countenance. Because notice what they say in verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So, so the sorrow that they had experienced, they, they understood to be the only news in the region. This was the only thing that anyone was tweeting about, anyone was posting pictures of. This was the hashtag. Nothing else was going on. There was one thing to talk about. And so if Jesus is drawing near, walking with, or in their mind's eye, a stranger, and he asks, what are you talking about? He must be the most disconnected person on the planet in their minds, because this is the only thing they could possibly be talking about, the death of Jesus Christ. And so they look sad. Now, before we move forward, isn't it fantastic? Is, and yet a little bit unsettling that Jesus draws near, he walks with, and then he asks them a question. He asks them a question. Isn't it true? I, I bet that any of us could say right now, here's a question I have for God. Here are the things I'm asking him. Here are the things I'm waiting to hear answers back from him about, whether it's work, relationships, children. When is this going to be over, right? When are my kids going to go back to school? When am I going to get to be with my people again? When am I going to be able to interact with my church family? When am I going to be able to go back to work? When will I have work again? When will I not have to fear being sick? When will I be sick no longer, right? So we all have questions that we lift up constantly to God. And this is good. This is part of our spiritual formation and discipline of connecting, lamenting, and praying to God. But I don't think that we often think about that God would ask us a question. It's a way of Jesus drawing out these disciples. See, he doesn't reveal himself immediately, but he draws them out relationally, instantly as he walks with them. And as if that wasn't enough, after Cleopas says, are you the only stranger, or the only person rather, in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's taking place here in this day? Jesus' response is priceless. Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? He asks them again. Like he's, ab he's playing as if he has no idea what's going on, which at first blush maybe seems kind of cruel. How could Jesus act like he doesn't know what's going on? Surely, surely at this point, he's not going to continue this charade. Because remember, they're dealing with real grief. They're dealing with real sorrow. This could borderline be cruel in the way that Jesus is not just giving them hope right away. He's not just saying, here it is. Here's the answer. It's okay. Don't worry. I don't know the news because I am the news. Aren't we waiting for Jesus, the resurrected Lord, to just do this? I wonder if we are so astonished by Jesus not doing this because we're so frustrated that we know this is what God does on the regular. See, he doesn't always answer those questions that we have immediately. 
He doesn't always answer, in fact, in a way that we often recognize at first. And yet he still walks with us. He still draws near. He still walks with. He still asks questions and draws us out. I I think one of the things that we're beginning to see in this story, something that I think is deeply impactful for us, especially witness on a Resurrection Sunday where we're feeling the isolation and disconnect that these two travelers likely did, is that our God is a relational God. Can I get an amen? No, seriously, can I get an amen? Our God is a relational God. In other words, he draws near, he walks with, he asks questions to draw out. This is your Lord, church in the square. This is, this is my Lord. This is our Lord. This is who he is. And so I can, I can imagine humorously that as Jesus asks the question and they respond, he sort of shrugs his shoulders and goes, what things? As in, speak a little bit more. Tell me more about what you're going through. Here's what they say in the latter half of verse 19. And he said to them, what things? Or rather, and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and and crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. This is incredible because in this moment, these two disciples begin to preach to Jesus about Jesus. They begin to speak to Jesus about who he is. They, they reveal their understanding. They reveal their belief. They reveal their hope. We had thought, they said, that he was the hope of Israel. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And therefore, we're dealing with sorrow. We're dealing with pain. We're dealing with this mystery and this, this heaviness. They're dealing with the fact that these women were right, right? That, that it happened just as they said, that when these disciples went and checked and fact-checked the situation, it was exactly as the women had described. And so they begin to recount all of these things to Jesus. And can't you, can't you just imagine what that must have been like for Jesus? He, know, he knows all of this. He knows all of this, and yet he is listening to them lament and walk through and recount and talk about it and share with him all that's going on and all that has taken place. They preach to Jesus about Jesus. Surely, surely after all of this, Jesus will sort of explain to them, reveal to them, and and just celebrate with them that all of their hopes are realized. That, that that's enough. Hey, I was just testing you. All good. You got punked. And now, I think that was old school reference. Forgive me. But, but in other words, that, that Jesus would disclose who he is. But he doesn't. He actually does something that continues the relationship. And in fact, sets the relationship appropriately between himself and his disciples. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and 
and enter into his glory. So Jesus essentially rebukes these disciples for not believing. Now, now remember, they're going through a hard day. They're walking away from the city, going home likely, together in isolation and sorrow. Jesus draws near, doesn't reveal himself. Jesus walks with, doesn't reveal himself. Jesus asks a question, doesn't reveal himself. They disclose everything that they know that has taken place and their hopes, their dreams, the things that they were considering and on all of the things that they were hanging on this man, Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus does not disclose himself. He rebukes them and says, you should have seen this coming. Why? Verse 27, why should we and why should they have seen this coming? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Of all of the moments in all of the scriptures, draw your attention in to considering being here in this moment. Can you imagine what it must have been like for these two travelers to have heard Jesus go from the beginning of the scriptures, from the beginning of time, all the way till that present moment and connect the dots for them in all of the prophets and all of the scriptures and all of the ways that every single page, every single line, every single punctuation mark and sentence and paragraph and page and chapter and book was all about Jesus. Jesus went back to Adam and he said, Adam was getting you ready for me, the new Adam. Go back to Moses. Moses was getting you ready for me, the true prophet. Jesus went back to Ruth and said, Ruth was preparing you for me. I'm your kinsman redeemer. He was going back to Esther and saying, I'm the one for such a time as this. He went back to Job and said, I'm truly the suffering servant. He went back to Isaiah and said, I am the word made flesh that you would not have recognized if, it, if I did not tell you. He goes back to every prophet, every preacher, every person, every priest, every single person and says, that was all a setup plan to get you to see Jesus Christ. Can you even imagine being there? Can you even imagine being there and, and hearing Jesus unpack the scriptures and say all of this was pointing to this moment? He would have gone to the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel and say these are the dry bones that rose up to bring new life. Can you even imagine, church? And so you would think in that moment, you would think in that moment, surely that's when they believed. Surely these two travelers now put all of this together. He walked with us. He, he, he drew near to us. He asked us questions. He rebuked us. He pointed in all the scriptures that this was about Jesus. And yet they still don't know. Isn't this incredibly hopeful? I mean, real talk. Because I can get so frustrated with myself when I don't understand what God is doing. When I don't connect the dots very quickly when I need more time. See, how good is it? My brothers, my sisters, how good is it that we have a God who graciously repeats himself. He doesn't just give you one shot. How good is it that we have a God who graciously repeats himself and in many different ways reveals that he is a relational God. He draws near, he walks with, he draws out, he, he rebukes even, and yet with gentleness through teaching and in bringing about the truth of his word. Somewhat humorously, the very next verse is not the two travelers kind of struggling with this, trying to understand exactly how 
all of these things pointed to Jesus, they just continue on. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, that's Jesus, acted as if he was going farther, which I think is incredibly humorous, that in all of this, Jesus acts as though that he's going to go farther. No, I've got a different place that I'm going to go and sort of gives them an opportunity. I mean, he's like messing with them at this point. But verse 29, they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. This is, this is the moment when they finally see. But, but notice that Jesus does this act of breaking the bread giving a a picture even of his living body being undone for their sake. He breaks the bread and fellowship with them. He blesses it. And then notice the language in verse 31. It's not that they put it together. Let me preach to you for just a second. They don't put it together. They don't start putting all of the facts and details. They don't work hard and connect everything and all of a sudden believe because intellectually they had worked and labored and pieced this thing together. No, the text, the syntax, the grammar, the original language make it clear someone else opened their eyes and their eyes were opened. The invisible hand of the almighty God is the one who causes belief, causes the dots to be connected, causes understanding to take place. You and I cannot understand a note, a word, a punctuation mark, any idea from the scriptures without the Holy Spirit illuminating the scriptures for us. And therefore, what is taking place here is that God's spirit shining brightly through the incarnation of the resurrected Lord, puts all things into focus for these two travelers, puts all things into focus for them and they see and they see and they witness and they behold. And all of a sudden, there's not just a stranger, a traveler, a visitor from Jerusalem that had just been journeying with them. The resurrected Christ is having a meal with them. See, this is an incredible moment when all of a sudden, can you even imagine what begins to take place? See, it's, it's almost impossible to communicate. And so what Luke describes is more of this gut level experience that they have. Look at verse 32. After Jesus has already vanished, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Did our hearts not burn? Wasn't something going on? See, this is an incredible moment where we see Jesus is that he draws near, he walks with, he draws out, he he rebukes unbelief, and then he teaches the truth from the scriptures, and then he breaks bread and fellowship. See, all of these, every moment, every detail, every movement of this particular narrative is all part of God's divine setup plan so that they would see God for who he truly is, so that they would see Jesus for who he truly is. Here's why we get frustrated. Here's why we often get frustrated. I I believe 
and, and why I often get frustrated with the questions that we ask God is because we have convinced ourselves that all we lack is information. That all we lack is information. If you tell me who, if you tell me what, if you tell me when, if you tell me why, God, if you give me some information, then I'll believe, then we'll be good. Then all shall be well. Or we think all we need is some action. I just need you to do something, God. I just need you to remove that obstacle. I just need you to remove that person. Are you with me? I just need you to get that person out of the way. I just need you to do this. I just need you to do that. What this Easter Sunday narrative is teaching us is that we don't just need information. We don't just need action. We need God himself. We need him. You need God himself infinitely more than you need information and action from him. This is why he draws near to be with you. This is why he walks with to identify with you. This is why he asks questions to draw you out. This is why he rebukes to correct your sin. This is why he teaches to produce righteousness. This is why he opens your eyes that we might be united with him. You don't need information only. You don't need action only. First, foremost, and forever, what we are desperate for, what we are intimately aware of this morning is we need God himself. And on Easter Sunday, that's exactly what he gave us. His one and only son, the resurrected Lord over the living and the dead, the Alpha, the Omega, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He gave us Jesus. He gave us himself. This is what's taken place. This is the story of your faith. This is the story of my faith. That God set me up so that I would see I'm desperate for him. The two, can you imagine? They'd been through quite a day. After their, they sort of communicate to each other that their hearts had been burning. Look at verse 33. What else are they going to do except this? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Notice. They sort of initially give this summary statement. He's appeared to Simon. The Lord has risen. They give this this large scale announcement, a title, if you will. But then Luke says, and they told them what happened. Now, if all we need is information, if all we need is some action, what they said would have been been enough. Why did they tell them the story? Why did these two disciples not just say, he's risen, it's good, here's the information, here's the action. Why didn't they just say that? Because they knew what they had received was more than just a report of some action or bits of information. They had received the Lord himself. And so they told him the story. And can you imagine how awesome it must have been? 
they just went back. We were, we were walking down the road and we, we were sorrowful. We were grieving. We knew these women said something. We knew the disciples and Peter had, had maybe, there was this rumor developing and kind of taking over, but we weren't sure what to believe. We were walking together and all of a sudden this guy like walks with us and we weren't really sure why and it was kind of awkward. I, I know there's not like a social distancing thing, but he, he was really close and, and asking us questions and he didn't, can you believe he didn't know what was going on? He didn't know all the things that had taken place about, about Jesus. And so we told him and then he said, we were foolish. And that kind of hurt our feelings. And we were a little uncomfortable and didn't really want to know if we wanted to still walk with him. But then he went through the entire Bible, every punctuation mark, every single sentence, every single paragraph, every single page, every single book, every single person, prophet, priest, king, all of these things, they all were supposed to get us to see Jesus. But we still didn't believe. So we're just going to walk home. We didn't really know what was going on. He was going to go further. We invited him in. We sat down, broke a meal. And can you believe it? It was Jesus. It was him. See, I, they would not have just said, here's the information. They would have told the story. Why? Because people who've been set up to see and encounter Jesus himself, well, they can't help but set up all the people around them. See, this is what it means to be a disciple church. You and I are each co-conspirators now with God's spirit in this divine setup plan so that people will see the resurrected Lord. You may think you're just inviting your neighbors over for a meal. No, you're setting them up. You may think that you're just helping somebody out during this COVID-19 crisis. No, we're setting them up. You may think we are merely helping financially. You may just think that we're helping by providing a meal. You may just think that we're trying to share and encourage and give hope and peace. We're setting them up. See, in all of this, it is not that we are doing these acts of kindness in sort of a manipulative way to get people's attention. We are living as Jesus lived. We are living in an incarnational way, providing for the real, material, tangible needs that people have. But all of those things are not things in and of themselves. They are ways to whisper the name of Jesus. They are ways for us to communicate who he is, to demonstrate who he is, to set up people so that they too would see what they are desperate for is not a meal. What they are desperate for is not just information. What they are desperate for is not just someone to change their situation. What they are desperate for is God himself. And so God himself shows up again. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, Jesus himself stood among them and among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Arise in, arise in your hearts. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then 
He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. He does the work to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus again draws near and he is with And repeatedly he says, it's me. This is not a spirit. This is not a figment of your imagination. This is not just information. It's not just action. This is me in the flesh. Give me fish. I'll prove it to you. And what does he say when he enters the room? He gives what no information and no action can give. Peace. See, we are convinced, aren't we? We are convinced that if we just know something more, If we have the right information, then we'll know peace. This is why we worry. This is why we turn a problem over and over and over again in our heads because we think if we figure it out, then we will have peace. That's a lie. This is why we keep praying for God to do something. The thing we've figured out, this is the thing. This is what you need to do. You do this, we're good. I do this, I'll be good. Worry will be washed away if I just do this. That's fiction. What the scriptures teach us is that peace comes in the form of a person, not an idea, not an action, but a person who has all wisdom and who can do anything. We don't need information. We don't need action. We need Jesus who knows everything and is able to do anything. See, when you come to Jesus and receive peace from him, then all information, all source and knowledge, and all those things are found in him. And all power under heaven and earth, all authority is given to him. So if you need some information, if you need somebody to do something, come to Jesus first. See, when you seek his kingdom first, all these things will be added unto you. Peace to you. Their hearts were burning. Jesus is the one who didn't immediately dispel all the sorrow. Jesus is the one who didn't immediately give them the information that they lacked. Jesus is the one who did not immediately, for these these two travelers, give them everything that they thought they needed as soon as they wanted it. Instead, he gave them what they needed himself. And he drew near and he walked with and he drew out and he rebuked and he taught them. And then by God's grace, by God's mercy, he revealed himself and their eyes were opened and their hearts were burning the whole time. My brother, my sister, you and I all need to hear that in our particular situation, in our isolation, in our overworked situation, in perhaps being out of a job, fears of sickness, dealing with sickness, front lines as a healthcare worker, trying to make ends meet, trying to help others make ends meet in all of the myriad of different ways that we are seeking to be dependent on the Lord, seeking to learn what it is to be a church family, seeking what it means to just live in a way that is honoring to the Lord individually as families, as couples, 
as a whole unit together as a group. This is what we need to hear today. That in that situation, you may not have all the information tomorrow. Your situation may not change immediately or in the way that you desire. But we have a God who right now in your situation and mine is drawing near to you. He is walking with you to identify with you. He is perhaps rebuking you and correcting ways of false thinking and disbelief. And yet he is teaching us in the scriptures over and over again about himself if we would simply look. And by his grace, he tru- we trust and he promises that he will open up our eyes, that he will reveal to us all truth, that he will demonstrate through his kindness. And how do we know this? We know this because on Resurrection Sunday, that's exactly who Jesus revealed that he was, the God who draws near, the God who walks with, the God who draws out, the God who rebukes, the God who teaches, the God who opens your eyes, the God who saves you by giving you himself. Peace to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. Oh God, thank you for not just giving us bits of information and ideas. Thank you for not just giving us action, though you are able to have, because you have all knowledge and you can do all things. You're able to do that. You give us something far greater. You give us yourself. And so God, may that peace that passes understanding that only comes through the the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, settle in the souls of my brothers and sisters today. Would it settle in my soul today, God? that on this Easter morning, we would more and more become the church that you're calling us to be. Even though we are apart, we are still together by your spirit who is the one who reveals all truth. So God, may we become a more peaceful people. May we become peacemakers. May we become those who find and seek and flourish within peace that only comes through Christ. Would you do all of that and a thousand other things today, Father, that we we don't even have enough wisdom to ask for. Would you, Father, do far more abundantly than we can ever ask for or imagine? For your own glory and our good, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen.